But dad, I need it. How often have you witnessed or maybe unfortunately even been a part of this conversation in public? Right, just from those words, you can already picture the scene in your mind. Right, that there's the small child holding on with all of his strength and might to the singular object of his life's desire. Knuckles turning white, face turning red with the frustration of being unable to, uh, to arrange a more convincing argument. But dad, I need it. Whenever this situation happens, though, it's never actually something the toddler needs in the strictest sense of the word, right? He's never holding a piece of nutritious food that will strengthen his body and help him grow up big and strong. No, it's always a toy or a piece of candy or something like that, But Dad, I need it. No, you don't. In our text for this morning, Jesus promises to provide for our physical needs. Although our sinful needs often go unfulfilled, we find greater and ultimate satisfaction in our heavenly needs, and we trust in God's promise to provide as well. Now, a lot of the verses of our text could maybe seem rather trite or just fluffy out of context, right? Oh, Jesus tells me not to worry. That makes me feel warm and fuzzy inside. Right? Maybe you'll go home and, and make an Instagram post with one of these verses. You can see it already now, right? That there's this white cursive font over a mountain range or something. But really, this section of Jesus' teaching comes right after a section where he talks about money. Oof, now the red flags are going off, right? We're talking about money in church. The first verse of our text really cues us off to that and carries over that that theme into this section as well. What Jesus is talking about here is pretty weighty and is going to have some consequences. Let's take another step into the context. So we're in Matthew chapter 6. We're right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, which primarily deals with issues of Christian living. Now, the vast majority of Jesus' audience is living in what we would today consider abject poverty. There's this just constant fear of famine and starvation that we just can't really understand today. Most of the people will have the clothes on their back and maybe one or two extra pairs, and that's about it. Among this larger group of people are Jesus' disciples. The people who left everything, livelihoods and families and homes, to wander around with Jesus in the middle of nowhere and be entirely reliant on the generosity of others. If you were tasked to create an audience who could have legitimate concern over clothing and food, well, here you go. But Jesus tells them not to worry and promises to provide. As I look out into the pews this morning, I see you're all wearing clothes. 
If you're anything like me, you have too many clothes and you complain about how small your closet is because you can't fit all your clothes in it. I'm guessing you had breakfast before coming here or at this point through the service you're thinking about the donuts you'll have after church. Again, if you're anything like me, your pantry is so full with food, every once in a while you have to go through to check expiration dates to throw out stuff that you can't use anymore. We aren't worried about clothing and food like Jesus' original audience was. And because of that, we're tempted to make his words ring hollow, to say that they don't really apply to us. Because we all are incredibly prosperous in the grand scheme of things. The median American income, so right in the middle, that's enough to put you in the top 0.16% of people worldwide. We as a nation and as a people are incredibly blessed physically and financially. But Jesus' words still do have consequences for us. They still apply to us. Because even though God could very well strip away 90% of our stuff and still fulfill his promise to provide, we so often find ways to worry. Like the toddler throwing a temper tantrum, how often do we lose sight of how little we actually need? In our prosperity, we recategorize luxury items as basic necessities, wants as needs. How often have you caught yourself saying, but I need it, over something that has no actual impact on your physical well-being? How often have you cried out, but Heavenly Father, I need it, when God in his wisdom decides that maybe you can't handle that level of prosperity. Maybe that's not what your prayer life looks like. Okay, that's fair. Maybe you are content and satisfied. All your needs are fulfilled. You don't even have any wants. Even so, I'm guessing you still worry and stress about tomorrow, next year, 10 years, retirement. Whether it's going to be enough. Whether it's going to last. We try so hard to put the future under our control now, even though it's in God's hands and it never really can be. We like to think that we can rely on God to provide for us in the future, but we really like to rely on ourselves and our investment strategies. Either way, our selfish desires become our God. We make an idol and worship things or our own efforts instead of him. We display a lack of trust by doubting his promise to provide. Worry shows that our priorities are out of order. And this is what Jesus is warning us against here, at its heart and at its root. You can't serve God and money. If even a single ounce of your effort is devoted to anything other than your one master, you're betraying him. Sounds harsh, but that's 
just how being a servant works. We like to think that we can rely on God. It makes us feel nice, but when the rubber hits the road, so often we rely on ourselves and what we want, and never on Him. Although so often we get caught up in our needs and our needs, Jesus never did. A mere two chapters after our text, he says, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus went without physical necessities to accomplish his greater purpose, to live a perfect life in your place. He often went without food and sleep to heal people from their sicknesses, to proclaim to them the good news of the coming kingdom of God. But more than that, the Son of God left the glory of heaven to become a man. Just imagine that. Try to wrap your head around that for a second. If Solomon, in his glory and splendor, isn't worth comparing to the lilies of the field, well, we can't even begin to comprehend the fullness of the glory and majesty of God. Yet Jesus gave it up for a time to give you your greatest need, himself. On the cross, Jesus offered himself up as a sacrifice to fulfill our deepest need, the need which we might not even realize we need, reconciliation with God. Jesus paid the debt that our sins created and wrapped up with the most precious currency, his innocent blood. The wall which we constructed between us and God, brick by brick by our doubts and our worries and our sin, it's been demolished, destroyed, no stone left standing on top of each other. Even the worry that we might have because we feel guilty about worrying too much has been taken away. Jesus has taken all guilt away because he has taken our sin away. And now as we stand basking in God and his presence, we realize that all we need, all we ever really needed, was him. And when we really realize and internalize this deeper truth, everything else just kind of falls into place. Because if God is going to go through all the effort and the hassle to save your eternal soul, well, he's certainly going to provide for you in this life as well. It isn't the former so much harder than the latter. If he's not going to provide for you, well, what was the point? Paul makes a, a similar rem remark in Romans chapter 8. He says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Jesus' resurrection shows us that we have nothing to worry about. It confirms for us that God cares and loves us and wants to provide for us. 
But more than that, Jesus' resurrected body shows that our bodies matter. We weren't designed to be disconnected spirits just floating out in the ether somewhere. No, God created us to have bodies. And because of that, he will provide for us in these physical bodies. And he cares about us so much that on the last day, he will raise us and all the dead in our bodies so that we live forever physically with him. Having been freed from the worries and concerns of our physical lives, Jesus now presents before us another option. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, this isn't God first and then second, all of our earthly worries and cares. No, it's God first and foremost. (coughs) First, above and surpassing everything else. Serving our one master with the wholeness of our heart and our energy. (coughs) This is our new calling. Since our heavenly needs have been satisfied and our earthly needs will be provided for. And this all works out in just a wonderful way. Because when we are absorbed in God and his work, all of our worries and anxieties just melt away. Not even in the corner of our mind. It's not that as we serve God, we have one eye on the benefits he's promised us. But as we serve him wholeheartedly, he provides. Jesus ever so gently chastises any remaining concerns we might have with some rather humorous pictures. Just imagine for a second, really sit down and visualize in your mind's eye a bird building a barn. Right? Does he have a little hammer to pound the nails in? A little helmet to protect his bird brain? Or or imagine for a second a lily sitting in the field doing its thing and it has some needles because it's knitting a sweater. No, that's ridiculous. They don't do that. They're not concerned about such things. They just go on living their lives, trusting in God and his power and his providence and his care. Now, this doesn't mean that we can just be lazy. God doesn't miraculously make worms appear in the bird's nest every morning. No, the bird has to go out and work for them and hunt for them. It has to do bird work. In the same way, God's promise to provide isn't an excuse to be lazy. But so often he provides for us in our vocations, in the situations and callings in life into which God has placed us. And stewardship and planning, making good use of God's resources are good things so that we can make the best use of what God has given us. But ultimately, we can place all the worry and the stress of providing on him because he has promised to do so. And when we have done that, we are freed of all that worry and concern and can serve God wholeheartedly in everything that we do, just where he has placed us to be. Because if God cares so much for birds and flowers, he's certainly going to care for you. 
If God cares about you enough to send his son to die for you, he will certainly provide for your physical needs as well. As often as we may get caught up in physical needs and in material things, I think we can all agree that the best things in life, for one, are free, and for two, aren't even really physical. Laughter with friends and family, sitting in awe, admiring God's power and wisdom in creation, love. When we place our worries and stresses on God, he allows us to enjoy the best things and the good things in life. But most of all, more than any of these, we rejoice in the free gift which God has given us, that he sent us his son to die for us, so that we may be in a right relationship with God. We are his own. We have a lot to learn from the birds and the flowers, which are content to keep on living, trusting in God and his power and care. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus to life everlasting.